I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, my name's Stuart Miles and welcome to the Pocket Podcast. Google has announced a new version of the Nest Hub, replacing the 7-inch smart display that originally launched as the Google Home Hub in 2018. Designed to sit on your bedside table, the company is even promising to help you track your sleep by using a type of radar to detect motion. Pogolint's Chris Hall has been following the story and is here to tell us more. Meanwhile, I've been talking to the Director of Technology at Epos, a high-end audio brand born out of Sennheiser, about future audio trends and how we'll be listening to music using voice assistance and audio in healthcare over the next decade. And then Chris, lucky him, comes back to give us his verdict on the new Samsung Galaxy A52 5G smartphone, the latest device in one of Samsung's most popular smartphone ranges. Is it any good? Keep listening to find out. But before you tell us about how you've been getting on with that, Chris, tell us more about the new Google Nest Hub. Well, when you first look at it, there's not a huge change. This The new Nest Hub looks exactly the same as the old Nest Hub. Same size, same design fabric covered base with the screen that appears to float on the top it's still seven inches and it still doesn't have a camera now that's the important point really because google just google has basically said well if it hasn't got a camera it's going to be really popular for the bedside because there's no privacy issue so what else can we put in the bedroom we can put in a sleep monitoring system as you alluded to in your introduction there they are using a radar technology which comes from the solid chip that you may remember went into the pixel 4 a couple of years ago that never yeah. really did very much it meant you could wave your hands around and get the phone to do various things without touching it which was sort of pointless um <laughs> point, pointless way of using that technology but this makes a lot more sense so the idea here is that the radar which uses very low power short range um electromagnetic frequencies can detect the person closest to the device and monitor their movements and because it can track their movements and a clever algorithm that's been developed they can tell how you are sleeping and match sleeping and the patterns of movements that you're making and this is a it's a really interesting thing because sleep tracking has had a lot more focus recently people are using their wearable devices a lot of the time there are some under under mattress solutions that also use movements and changes in pressure to detect sleep and indeed, there is another system that sits by your bed and monitors you using radio waves to see how you're moving. It's a big play to to moving into another segment of the house, really, because most people think about Nest Hub as a device that you might have in your kitchen. You ask it for recipes yeah. and it will do all of that stuff. It will still play your music and it will still, still do all of those things that these devices have always done. But now there is this extra skill that could give Google a massive advantage in the bedroom. And I can't believe I've just said that. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, right. Okay, so there's a couple of questions I have based on this. Firstly, is that when you tell me, this is perhaps a naive old way of looking at it, when you say radar, I'm thinking World War Two frigates going across the, the Atlantic trying to find U-boats with like, boom, boom, boom. It's my... Uh, yeah. My, my my radar impersonation yeah. is is it as simple as that? That they'll only be able to see on on your side of the bed, so you'd 
theory need two of these if you both if you live with someone and you want to both track your sleep and and secondly is it is it really going to work well let's start with the first part of it yes it is designed only to detect the person on one side of the bed so it will be ah there's the person they are moving rather than trying to get across and see both people because you wouldn't be able to distinguish one set of movements from the other so yes maybe it's a good way to sell you two of these devices one for each side of the bed which would be massive overkill when you start trying to talk to them to ask for the weather and things like that and you are right as well it is well boom which that's actually sonar but we're we're talking about the same (laughs) we're talking about the same sort of things it sends out a short low power radio frequency it, which comes out, bounces off something, and then it detects what happens to that signal. You know, so, and and that's the way that radar works at the moment. It sweeps this electromagnetic spectrum through the sky, sends out these signals, and receives them back. And there, it can tell when there's something in the sky. Exactly the same way as you might find incoming bombers, might be able to track Spitfires having dogfights over the <laughs> British Channel, or all of that. But now we live in simpler times, so we're talk- talking about sleep. Yes, it, it's exactly the same. They're basically just going to gently scan that area in front of the device and be able to tell if something is moving and how that thing is moving. There's also another system which supports this, which is that it can use some of the other sensors on the device to track light and noise. So it will be able to tell if you're snoring, it will be able to detect the kind of sleep noises that people make when they have specific sleep problems. And it will be able to tell you, for example, that your sleep became a lot more disturbed because the room suddenly got lighter, which means you probably need to get blinds. Wow, that is, that, that is quite clever. Like those those extra bits rather than just sort of seeing whether you've moved or whether the cat's jumped on the bed halfway through the night and you've had to th- kick it off with your legs. Um, one of the interesting things, I suppose, with this is in the background here is that Google has recently finished its acquisition of Fitbit. How do we see this technology connecting in with people that are wearing Fitbit devices? I, mean, I presume they won't have to wear the Fitbit devices, but will the will the data still be linked? Well, the starting point for this is that Fitbit is one of the market leaders for sleep tracking already because you can wear any of their devices, especially the bands. So if you have some of the basic bands, they will do your sleep tracking. And having used some of them, I think they have the best system, the best interface when you go and look at the data. Um, Compared to some of the other models that are out there, I think they do a much better job. So so yeah, there is a really strong starting place for sleep. I suspect that Google was already working on this plan before Fitbit went all the way through, but they have said that they plan to try and integrate these two systems in the future. And that could potentially mean that if you like sleeping in your band, your Fitbit band, then you can get extra data from Google based on the on the Nest Hub. That's one possibility. The other thing, as you say, is that it might be that you don't have to wear your tracker in bed anymore. And then they can feed sleep data into a much more comprehensive fitness system. Um, we already know that Garmin does a similar thing with its body battery. Fitbit could do exactly the same thing where it tracks your performance, looks at how much rest you're having, and then recommends what you should be doing in future activities based on all of these different metrics. Yeah, I suppose that's something I recently interviewed um, the CEO of Whoop, uh, which is coming on a future podcast. Uh, and he's kind of implying that, you know, their system works around the idea of not uh, encouraging, you know, encouraging you not to exercise on certain days because it's got data like this. And I suppose all of this kind of data feeds into systems like that as well. So the final question I have, I suppose, is that if we're stand, if Google is now starting to get even more data about us you talked about privacy of not having a camera to sort of seeing us getting dressed and undressed in the bedroom 
what about privacy in terms of sleep data? Will they suddenly be able to bombard us with even more ads because they know that we're tired? Well, Google has said that none of the data actually leaves the device. So this isn't going to go off into the cloud where someone's going to analyze it and say, oh, this person is not sleeping very well. But they've also said that this is going to be available within the Google Fit application. And obviously, if they share it over to Fitbit and there is there is privacy in places to stop that type of data being used for other purposes. So I don't think that you'll see sleep data directly relating to the advertising that you see online in the same way as you might do if you go and Google uh, sleeping pills. Still to come, Chris gives us his verdict on the Samsung Galaxy A52 5G. It's only a small step down from the sort of performance that you get at flagship level, which is really quite a surprise. And it was something that we saw happening last year with mid-range devices, and it's obviously going to continue through this year as well. The face of audio tech is evolving, and we're witnessing remarkable changes. Whether it's the rise of voice assistants, AI embedded into audio equipment, or wireless earbuds with biometric capabilities, the days of headphones or speakers just delivering music is long gone. It's something Torben Christian, Director of Technology at Epos, a high-end audio brand born out of Sennheiser, knows only too well. He's responsible for ensuring the company understands where we're going in terms of audio so he can make sure that the company is there at the right time to benefit from the latest trends. But how will we be using our voice and listening capabilities in the future? And are we to expect simply more of the same or are new things on the horizon? Off the back of a new report into the future of audio trends produced by Epos, I started by asking what the most interesting findings from the report actually were. I think that uh, the most interesting findings that we're doing at the moment is that we are doing deep research on how voice and audio is affecting our brain. And when we deliver our products to, uh, to workspaces, uh, we need to ensure that people can work all day and that we can unload the brain as much as possible. And this is really the hard cost of what's going on at the moment. And so how do you go about doing that? How do you, you know, that's a very altruistic thing to say, but how do you then take that data and, and make it a reality into something? Yeah, it's a, it's a very good question. And it's actually also, a, you could say, a problem for us because we are hardly the only ones in the world who can do it the way we do it. So how to compare with others, you can say. But... But it's actually very simple. Uh, it is, uh, we, we, we can actually now uh, measure how the brain perceives audio. So we can see how the brain is working with audio. And, and it turns out that the brain has uh, two centers. Uh, first, uh, it's localization. What, what is this audio? Where is it coming from? What should I listen to? And once you have uh, experienced that, you, you start focusing on what, uh, what content you would like to listen to. Um, and, and now we can measure this. And that means also we can make products which easier guides the user to the right content. Uh, and that might not be uh, 2 dBs more noise reduction or something like that. It's much, much more uh, complex. Uh, and I find that very, very interesting. Now, one of the things you talk about, um, noise cancellation there, for example, that seems to be one of the big focuses of the industry at the moment. You've just launched a new pair of headphones that have noise cancelling in them do you think that's the right problem to tackle or do you think it's the pro it's the problem that's worth tackling now before you move on to more exciting things in the future it's a good question i think it's it's uh, there's two problems to solve one is the voice pickup that we send to to the ones you are talking to and then there's the blocking of noise uh, in the uh, in the 
where you are as a user of our products. And and uh, active noise cancelling uh, ANC is is uh, definitely something that will unload your brain. So if you are not disturbed by noises, you your focus, your localization can be much uh, easier done, and that means that your brain has to work uh, less hard, and you can focus on other stuff. So I think that uh, ANC uh, noise blocking, uh, no matter how you do it, is here to stay, and it will almost be a hygiene factor in the future. Now, you talk about sort of your brain understanding what's happening and obviously about the environments. Most fo- most headphones are focused on music and the sounds that you're hearing and listening and enjoying either music or films or what have you. Not many are focused on actual talking. Something in the study suggested that you found that that was quite an important factor as well. Uh, indeed. And and again, we have to remember there's two two ways where the talking, the speech that you are listening to, and that that is a, that that is not so much we can do, but we can still emphasize the important parts of, of speech. Uh, this uh, morning, I listened to your pod, podcast in my car, and obviously, my car is uh, made for music. So when you were talking, I had to turn up the volume to uh, fifty instead of twenty-five on on that level, just to understand the the speech. And that is a, a that that is also happening in in headsets. So if you don't have a if they are not tuned for speech, uh, then uh, you have to turn up the volume uh, uh, too much. The other part is the what you send away. So if if uh, I mean uh, if I want to get my message uh, through to to you and you understand what I'm saying, it's extremely important that uh, we have a voice pickup that that can uh, can do the job. And and here the industry has been focusing on uh, on music and uh, entertainment. But now uh, the area comes of voice because more and more devices will be controlled by voice. You have Alexa and all these voice assistants. And now uh, at work, you have to talk with people. And if our voice comes through more clearly, uh, you are also more efficient. And on that voice assistant note, they seem to be everywhere in the homes we, we seem to have some you know alexa and, and google and, and to, to a point HomeKit has done well in, in telling us that we need a, a, a speaker that we can talk to to play the next track or time our you know time out the next cooking recipe or what have you how important is it do you think that we'll see them fitting into the headphones of tomorrow and do you think that's somewhere where people are getting used to using that yeah, they, they are, you can say they are already here and it will only grow because the convenience about talking to your device is is just so high that you don't have to use your hands, etc. Uh, are they mature? Uh, yes, for some things, yes. But if you if you make a, a mail or an SMS or text message and you are misunderstood by the machine, then... Uh, not many mistakes has to happen before you don't trust it. So we are at a tipping point here where the machines and the machine learning algorithms, they are getting so good that we can trust it. And what makes the machine uh, machines understand you better is also that we provide the machines with better audio. And uh, we can clearly see a difference in how much noise we send through the system, how clear the speech is, how f- that we don't hurt the the, the speech with the artifacts. That uh, yeah, so I, I think the whole thing is moving in that direction. And uh, and we think in EPOS it's it's pretty good for us because we are expert on the voice part. And 
I, I, I guess that we will be among the, the best to actually to supply the machines with a voice that can be understood. Beyond voice, are you seeing any other trends within the headphone space from this report that you think surprised you or would think, oh, yeah, that's the next logical thing for us to start focusing on? Yeah, you can say uh, the massive uh, massive um, uh, impact and, and rollout of true wireless uh, system uh, that we see uh, starting in the consumer space is... Uh, I don't know if it's a if it's a surprise, but it's it's always a surprise if if what we think is going to happen actually happens, yeah. <laughs> and, <it's, laughs> and it is so massive at the moment. So it's it's simply it is something that that we in the enterprise segment also will uh, will have to uh, to do, uh, and uh, but we just need to ensure that the, the quality is good enough, and and some. Some there's some things, for example, about wearing comfort that people are not thinking so much about. If you go to the shop and you put some true wireless, some earbuds into your ears and you say, yeah, they are good. And then you buy them. But wearing comfort, that's about hours. And I think some of our tests, if you are just wearing them for 15 minutes, you, you it, it hurts. So mm. I would, even, uh, I mean, the white ones uh, are pretty, pretty good. But the perfect fit, they have not obtained uh, yet. And that's also an area where we do a lot of research, um, especially because we we know a lot about ears uh, from our mother company, the hearing aid company. So, so there will be some exciting stuff for the future in that area as well. And do you think, obviously, hearing aids, you mentioned there, is all about augmenting the sound to obviously make it sound better. Do you think there are technologies that we could take from hearing aids and the way that they process sound and stuff into just general headphones that people use not to enhance the hearing, but, you know, to enhance other things. I mean, it's a, it's a very, very good question. And uh, I was, I was starting in, in uh, the hearing aid company, Oticon, which is our, in our group 20 years ago. And, and my task was a technology project lead to use hearing aid technology in headsets. So I have been doing that since 2001. And uh, and what is hearing aids? What are they doing? They are trying to understand speech in noise. And what are we trying to do? We try to get the speech in noise sent to the other end so that the ones we are talking with can understand it. So they, it's obvious. So since 2005, when I started in the company, I have been taking in technology from from uh, the hearing aid business to understand speech more clear in, in noise. And right now we are working on the third generation of, of algorithms that is uh, directly coming from, from that business. Without doing a hearing aid, of course, it's, it's clean speech. That's the whole task here. Yeah. And so what's been the biggest leap, do you think, in terms of technology that you've seen over those over that time? And what do you think will be the next big leap? I think the biggest leap, uh, leap would be... Uh, that we uh, last year introduced uh, a headset with a embedded AI. And uh, I cannot be 100% sure, but within the UC space, within enterprise, using embedded AI to, cle to clean up uh, speech from noise, I think we are the first in the world doing that. Uh, like the first on the moon, right? Uh, mm. 
And that was, uh, when we do that, we can only do what the hardware provides, uh, has of memory and processing power. So we have just begun. And what we have done in, the, in this uh, uh, product is, it might not seem so big for, for the end user in the end. We, we remove more artifacts in some cases, but uh, the next step and the step after that one, they, they it will just grow. So machine learning, cleaning up for clean speech, this is uh, the major thing. And how do you see the trend, the report that you've done and some of the things that you've you've highlighted in that report, how do you see those sort of changing the way or focusing the way that EPOS works over the next five years? I think that we will uh, <clears throat> we will put put much more efforts on brain hearing. That means, I mean, what matters in the end is how we as user perceive sound. That is all it is about. But it's so hard to 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 measure. So uh, we will um, we will focus on on trying to prove that what we do has an effect on your you can say your well-being or how tired you get at work, etc. And I think the whole um, unfortunate situation of of COVID nineteen actually has helped uh, people understand how important it is with a good headset. If you work from home and you have meetings all day and you need to use a headset or other devices. If the audio is not clear, if you, I mean, if you have problems or artifacts, you get so tired. And I know some of the tiredness comes from that you have all these meetings, at least I do. Mm. But it also comes from the audio. So I think we have a lot to do here. And it's not only the next five years, it's also 10, because you have this EEG, I mean, Today, we can measure on your brain who you are listening to. So if two people are talking, I can measure on your brain which one you pay attention to uh, that through EEG. But <laughs> it's not so easy to get my partner tells. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's, uh, it's actually, imagine that, uh, imagine that if it was a hearing aid and you are trying to understand what uh, one of two people is talking about at a, in, in a cafe, etc., you can actually steer the beam of the hearing aid towards the one you're interested in listening to. And this is, uh, you can actually see that on, on our, uh, on the demands uh, webpage on the Ericsson Research Center. You can see a, a small demo of that. But of course, here you can see the people having huge helmets on the head to measure this. Uh, but actually, it turns out that the ears is a very good place to measure things. Uh, uh, technology is not there yet in terms of doing it uh, so small, but uh, uh, that will come too. Samsung A-Series is one of the company's most popular. It's more affordable than the top-end Galaxy S, but delivers many of the same experiences, meaning that in terms of volume, Samsung sells a lot more Galaxy A devices than it does the flagship. In recent years, mid-range phones have seen a huge boost. They've dropped the sense of being slightly compromised, while premium features have trickled down meaning you now get a lot more for your money at this level. But can that approach and charm work for Samsung? Chris Hall has been living with the new affordable Galaxy A52 5G to find out. So Chris, welcome back. Is it any good? Well, I'm lucky enough to be sat here with this phone in my hand at the moment, and I've got to say it's actually pretty good. 
as you said in your introduction there, that feeling of compromise that you used to get from mid-range devices has, has really been swept away. And there's been a lot of things that have influenced that. Change in display technology. This is now an AMOLED phone. You know, so it, it has the same sort of qualities you get on the top level devices, but also some of the internal hardware has been moving up. And this on the and the A52 comes in two versions. I have the the 5G version, which is slightly more powerful. The advantage being if you get the if you get the integrated 5G chip, you get the Qualcomm hardware to go with it, which is fantastic. It's only a small step down from the sort of performance that you get at flagship level, which is really quite a surprise. And it was something that we saw happening last year with mid-range devices. And it's obviously going to continue through this year as well. And I moved to this phone from the Galaxy S21 Plus. So I've got a really good sense of how these two phones compare. And in day-to-day -day use, there really is only minor differences. Apps might open a little bit slower. You know, it's, it's, it's not a huge deal. So, you know, browsing your emails or looking at Twitter or Instagram, there's really no difference there at all. Fire up a massive game. I've, I've been playing a lot of Call of Duty Mobile on it. I'm a big fan of the game. And it runs perfectly smoothly on this as well. The only thing that you'll really notice there is the battery life does take more of a hit because that core hardware is having to work a little bit harder. And that sets this phone up in a really good place, really. You know, you have a good you have good display. It's responsive, well-built. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a good all-rounder. So do you think there'll be a time when, like, why do you still need if if you're sitting here thinking okay I need a new phone you know the I could go for an A52 or I could go for an S21 like what do you it feels like you don't miss out that much at all so why would you consider the the top of the range devices well i think that's i think what we what we're seeing in the smartphones here is is the same sort of thing that happens in the car world car manufacturers like to launch these amazing cars and then everybody else goes off and buys the hatchback <laughs> because because it does everything that you want and it's a practical and more importantly it's affordable and this phone is half the price of the of the Galaxy S there is a there is a compromise of course and that compromise really comes in the camera and i think this is why we see camera or phone manufacturers spend so much time talking about the cameras because these are the real differentiators if you look at this phone you'll see that it has four sensors on the back of it there's only really two of them that we are excited about which is the main camera which is fine and the ultra-wide, and you can't really go that far wrong with ultra-wide. Mm. But that's then joined by a depth sensor and a macro camera. And this has also been one of the trends of the last few years, is that if manufacturers don't know what to do and they want to bump up the cameras on the back of a phone, they'll throw in a macro camera and they'll throw in a depth sensor just so that they can say, it's got a quad camera, but you've only really got two lenses that you're ever going to use. So do you find, is there have you found anything that you've kind of, you thought, oh, okay, I have missed that from the S21, or it's, you know, it, it feels it, it, it's been a bit disappointing. Well, no, that's the, that's the thing that worries me the most. <laughs> you know, I spend so much time playing with, with high-end flagship phones, and then you find yourself settling in one of the mid-range phones and just sticking with it for a while. And I did exactly the same thing last year with the Pixel, um, the Pixel 4a 5G, which was in a similar position. It just did everything that I needed it to do. And it's at the end of the day, this is good for consumers because it means that you can go out and buy a more affordable device and have the experience you, you want without feeling like you're missing out on something. Yes, you don't get the zoom here that you do on something like the Galaxy S21 Ultra. And I mean, that is a world away in terms of camera performance. Every camera on that device is better than any of the cameras that you have here. 
but I don't spend my whole time taking photos. So that doesn't worry me too much. There are some really, really important things in this phone that you might not get from other manufacturers as well. You get IP67 waterproofing, which is extremely rare on a mid-range device, especially in the mm. sub 400 pound category. And that, so that's a real bonus. And it also has features that you don't get on flagship phones anymore. It has micro SD, so you can easily expand the storage. And it's got a 3.5 millimeter headphone socket, which is just a combination of, of winning features. I don't understand why yeah. the mid-range gets these and the flagship don't. And so the final question I have is, is that sense of compared to its competition. So we're seeing, you know, a rising tide of, of Chinese manufacturers like Oppo and Realme and OnePlus and Xiaomi and all these kind of guys coming in with some really good, strong, you know, handsets at the mid-range price. Does the Samsung A52 5G stand up against those as well? Yeah, this is where it starts to get a little bit more... Well, a little bit more difficult because those this part of the market is going to be fiercely competitive this year, and and a lot of these phones will come in around the same price. At the way that it looks at the moment, if you're charging over four hundred pounds for it, then you're it's probably going to be too much money. You've priced yourself out of the market. Right. We haven't seen many of the latest generations of phones in this category, but we know that there's a lot to come. I suspect that many of the Chinese manufacturers that you've made, that you've mentioned will be pushing things like primary camera performance to try and use that to leverage things. As I said, the waterproofing is likely to be unique to Samsung. It, this may be the only manufacturer that offers waterproofing on this level of device, which is quite a bonus. But yeah, it's a, it's a really, really interesting category. Um, Samsung obviously have the advantage of being able to pull in things like their own displays and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it's it really is a, a, a boom time um, for the mid-range category. And for those people looking for that Samsung experience using Samsung's One UI software, then it's a great choice. Well, that's it for this week's show. Until next time, pip pip.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.